Today, property the dark truth politicians don't want to hear. Hello again, it's Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Well, latest post covering finance and property news. Well, the RBA minutes came out recently and they included a discussion about the case to raise the cash rate further. It centred on the observation that it would take some time for inflation to return to target and the labour market to full employment. And inflation was expected to take a further two years or so to return towards the midpoint of the target range under their central forecast. Of course, in the end, they held the cash rate unchanged at 4.35% and the interest on exchange settlement balances unchanged at 4.25%. But this was an important signal. And in fact, the 13 RBA-driven rate hikes have had a perverse impact on property. Since January last year, Australian property prices have been rising in many parts of the country, recouping almost all of the losses incurred after the RBA began lifting interest rates back in 2022. They might be slowing a bit, but prices are going in a weird direction, and actually, this probably wasn't meant to happen. And data from CoreLogic shows that the price difference between houses and apartments has widened to a new record as land values rise and the number of freestanding houses are being listed to purchase and people desire more living space. Yet, that pushes on to build even more apartments. And in fact, there is strong demand for property, buoyed both by increased population and a resurgence in demand from cashed-up older generations. Yet supply is not keeping up, and mortgage lending is tightened now for many as the costs of a mortgage rise. The signals are clear. We have a major crisis in housing. Renters are caught in the crossfire, but purchases are also in the firing line too. For example, the ABS released the latest data about new loans to December 2023, which, by the way, fell 4.1% for housing recently. But within the data, there were some worrisome trends. That is, unless you are in the real estate business or a landholder. First, funding for investor housing fell 1.3% to $9.5 billion, but was still 20.4% higher compared to a year ago. And from my surveys, it's clear that the prospect of rate cuts down the track are driving hopes of further price rises ahead, even as more newly listed properties arrive on the market. Recent data from the CBA showed most of those with investor home loans are comfortably earning six figures. And in fact, the bulk of investors buy established properties. It shows that when it comes to investment loans, about 80% of applicants in the six months to the end of December earned more than $150,000 a year, with the vast bulk pulling in up to half a million. Effectively, they are competing against other buyers and pricing younger buyers out of the market because the tax incentives that they have mean that they can afford to pay over the odds. And they can afford to outbid others because any losses they make on the shortfall between rent and interest costs will be covered by the taxpayer. More on that later. But first, home buyers are also buying, despite very tight underwriting forcing borrowing power down as much as 40%. But for many in the rental sector where rents are up 20% or more over the last year, buying a place has become 
a greater imperative. The ABS said at the national level, first-time buyer loans fell 8.4% to 9,491 after a rise of 4% in November, but it was still 12.9% higher compared to a year ago. In Queensland, it fell 14.1%. In Victoria, fell 3.7%. In Western Australia, it fell 6.3%. In New South Wales, it fell 3.7%. In the ACT, it fell 14.6%. In South Australia, though, it rose 2.6%. In Tasmania, it rose 5.6%. In the Northern Territory, it rose a massive 5.8%. Although, of course, that's on a very small sample. The bank of mum and dad, or better, the family bank, helps to explain this apparent contradiction between first home buyers active in the market while borrowing power is down. The re-entry of first home buyers is actually likely a sign that those with wealthy parents, primarily based on the house they live in, are helping fund their offspring into housing with an early inheritance. It's certainly not driven by rising incomes, which in real terms have not grown for a decade. In fact, during the past 30 years, it's become increasingly the case that the main avenue for entering the housing market is through inheritance. If your family didn't own property, there's only a slim chance you will if you are on a normal wage. And while the trend isn't unique to Australia, there are several unique factors here which are making the problem inherently worse than in many other developed countries. Most of these problems are related to excess demand. Despite the constant bang from certain vested interests that we simply need to unwind planning controls and aim for the skies, it would be almost impossible to build enough dwellings to cope with the enormous rate of increase in our population. And we know that the quality of new builds is appalling, even as the very essence of many suburbs is being squeezed out in a vain attempt to solve, quote, housing, unquote. Truth is, we are witnessing a shortage of supply while demand is ramping up from a huge uplift in population fueled by incredibly generous tax breaks. Last year, our population swelled dramatically as an immigration wave held back by years of COVID-inspired isolation pushed our cities to bursting point. More than 600,000 new arrivals landed in the country, many of them students. They all need somewhere to live, and some are actually helped by parents to buy. Yet unfortunately, the pace of housing construction slowed to its lowest level since 2013, with just 165,600 new dwellings commenced in the year to the end of last September. A mere 37,100 were started in the December quarter, down 17% on the previous year. That trend seems to be worsening with a 10% drop in building approvals in the December quarter. And then there is the thorny question of our tax system. Thanks to a policy forged in a bygone era and turbocharged around the turn of the century, a large proportion of our wealthier citizens have been encouraged to own multiple properties, ensuring prices remain out of reach for the next generation. Recent Treasury data confirm this fact, which, by the way, we also see in our surveys. These uncomfortable realities, it appears, are ones which most of our political leaders are unwilling to confront. Why? Because the real fix inevitably will involve pain for some. And that makes it easy to mount a scare campaign that can undermine an election campaign. Remember, Bill Shorten? Australia's tax system is stacked so heavily against younger people that it's threatening the social compact, according to former Treasury Secretary Ken Henry. Which brings us to tax changes and negative gearing. Now, negative gearing has been a political curse for years. Paul Keating, back in 1985, tried to wind it back. It didn't encourage new housing construction, he argued, 
and it's allowed wealthier Australians to lower their taxes. The leader of the opposition would allow all of the high-income earners to run interest costs against their income, swapping flats on Bondi Beach, which were built 40 years ago, he told Parliament back then. That is not adding to the stock of housing or to the stock of rental accommodation. It is not really assisting families who need rental accommodation. And things have really changed very little. Within three years, he would succumb to a wave of intense lobbying and reinstated the system we have now. Negative gearing is controversial because while it is standard practice to be able to write off business costs like interest payments against business revenue in Australia, we go one step further. We allow those costs or losses to be written off against personal income. And as a result, more than a million Australians own a negatively geared property. Treasury estimates that it cost the federal budget around $2.7 billion in foregone taxes. That's in the year 2021, when interest rates were at record lows. The costs will have risen sharply since then, alongside interest rates. And that's why the Albanese government suddenly is in the crosshairs since expanding the stage three tax cuts to low-income groups. Bill Shorten's proposals back in the 2019 election campaign to, in future, only allow negative gearing for those wanting to buy newly built properties would have added to the supply of housing and taken the heat out of the market for existing properties. But Australia has a history of shooting down sensible proposals, particularly when it comes to tax. It's easy to mount a scare campaign, torpedo real reform, and scare off future governments from even trying anything. Now, there are a couple of ways of making housing more affordable, but neither of the potential solutions is politically palatable, nor attainable without serious economic fallout. The first is to have real estate prices go backwards or at least stand still for a very, very long time. Imagine going to an election with that as your main platform. The millions of Australians who own houses would be aghast. Then consider the ramifications for the banking system. Remember that it was a residential real estate collapse in America that sparked the global financial crisis. And our financial system is much more leveraged to mortgage lending with about 60 to 70% of their total book aligned to property. Now, the second is to dramatically lift wages and income so that ordinary Australians once again could afford to put a roof over their heads. But the trouble with that is that it would unleash an inflation inferno and with demand outstripping supply, send real estate values further into the stratosphere. So unfortunately, there are no quick and easy solutions to the problems we've created. Most of the so-called affordable housing solutions are simply attempts to create an illusion that leaders are doing something else. At best, they operate at the margins. The worst ideas, such as allowing first-home buyers to tap into the superannuation, would only add to demand and deliver windfall gains to sellers while denuding younger generations of a retirement income. The longer the problem persists, the more difficult it becomes to fix. Trying to convince voters who only recently purchased property that you want to slow the price of their biggest investment is an election strategy fraught with danger. So housing rapidly is becoming a lightning rod for a generation staring down the prospect of having next to no hope of buying a residence under their own steam. We may see ourselves as a society who craves equality with a universal education and health system that provides opportunities for anyone willing to have a go, but not so housing, because housing is broken and politicians won't tackle the real issues. 
could it be that the fact that they are much more likely to own investment property stop them from acting? Or is it the fact that this would require real action, not political spin? Now, if you're buying your home in Sydney's contentious market, you don't need to stand alone. This is the time you need to have Edwin Almeida from Ribbon Property Consultants standing alongside you. Buying a property is both challenging and adversarial. The vendor has a professional on their side. Emotions run high, price discovery and price transparency are hard to find, and then there's the wasted time and financial investments that you make. Edwin understands your needs, so why not engage a licensed professional to stand alongside you? With RPC, you know you have experience, knowledge and master negotiators looking after your best interests. So shoot Ribbon an email at info at ribbonproperty.com.au and if you use the promo code DFAWTW slash Martin, you can get a 10% discount offer. I'm Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Many thanks for watching and I'll see you again next time.